friends, and welcome back to Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Midge Munster. And today uh, we have another ghoul with us in the studio, the virtual studio. Uh, so some of you may know her as the godmother of Halloween. Uh, you may know her <laughs> from her Halloween blog, her amazing zines, and a mysterious upcoming project that will have dropped by the time uh, this podcast comes out. <laughs> Please welcome spooky little Halloween, our friend Miranda. Hello, ghouls. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, we're so excited. We're so excited. <laughs> it's so funny being a Ghouls Night End listener. Like, I listen to the episodes and I'm like, these girls are so cool. I just want to be friends with them. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then you remember we're not actually cool in real life. <laughs> right. You know, no, you're even cooler in real life. <laughs> uh, do you want to give us a, a little introduction of your own, Miranda? Uh, tell our listeners what you're all about if they don't already know you. Yeah, I mean, I think you did a really good job of summing it up there. Um, so again, I'm Miranda. I run SpookyLittleHalloween.com, a year-round Halloween blog. Uh, we are coming up on, geez, eight years of doing that. Wow. Um, wow. And as Penny mentioned, I publish quarterly zines um, to kind of Halloweenify the other seasons and holidays outside of spooky season. Um, I have a full-size Halloween magazine that I do. And I can officially say this now because by the time this episode drops, it will be public. Um, I now have a podcast of my own called By Pumpkin's Light that I'm really excited Yay! about. I'm co-hosting co that with Mike from All Hallows Geek. And every other week, we're going to be chatting with people um, who kind of make Halloween magic on the internet and out in real life and get the stories behind them of what they do and why they do it. I'm so excited. Your marketing leading up to this has been so eye-catching yes. and so like it's it's got the October feels so it's been really exciting to kind of well of course knowing kind of behind the scenes what y'all are doing when everybody else doesn't know I'm like oh I can't wait for y'all to find out <laughs> yes we're so excited to have you in the you and Mike in the podcasting family so super excited I hope um if anyone has not already started listening um make sure you go and add that to your podcatcher right now yeah, especially we get a lot of comments about people saying, you know, oh, I'm always looking for spooky podcasts that aren't like scary. And I feel like you all are bringing that like more informative, cozy, spooky vibe without, you know, it's for frady cats like us. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, that's something I, I appreciate what you said about kind of our marketing leading up because just kind of those Halloween feels is something that we very much tried to capture in everything, uh, just kind of how we're setting up uh, our intro and stuff to the podcast, which will be fun. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of things branded as Halloween podcasts out there that are about horror, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. We love horror. It has its space in our community. But there's nothing that's like super outright Halloween that's lasted more than a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We're I don't know that we're outright Halloween either necessarily. But you know, hopefully we'll. I don't know. It'll it'll be com fun conversations about the people who make Halloween. That's really our goal. Absolutely, we can't wait wait to be. I mean, hopefully by this point we're already listening. Yes, <laughs> we already love it. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm speaking as future Midge. I love it. Uh, but Miranda, you are not just here to talk about your upcoming projects. You are bringing your own Ghoul's Night topic. 
I am. I'm so excited about this. It's one of my favorite topics too. Can I share it? Yes, please jump <laughs> yes, right in. Please. It's time. <laughs> all right. So um, if you are familiar with what I do online at all, you know that one of my favorite things to share are Halloween playlists. I have just over 50 now over on SpookyLittleHalloween.com. Uh, so we're going to chat a little bit about the history of Halloween music today. So before Ooh. we do that, though, I want to ask you goals, two questions to get us okay. started. Okay. I'm scared. Um, <laughs> they're easy, I promise. Okay. And there's no wrong. Well, there's wrong answers maybe for the second one, but by the end of it, you'll know the right answer. <laughs> Daunting, I know. Okay. So question number one for both of you, what songs do you think of when you think of Halloween music? I mean, I'm so sorry, Miranda. Monster Mash. <laughs> there. I see you apologize to Miranda where I'm the one who really should because I'm oh. going to say Spooky Scary Skeletons. Spooky Scary Skeletons. <laughs> My favorite. Um, but also, I mean, I, I feel like I think of like Season of the Witch. I think of like, I feel like folky music always gives me kind of a Halloween vibe. I love those kind of like Southern Gothic music vibes. Nice. Mm. Okay. And then my second question for you guys, when do you think Halloween music became a thing? Mm. Ooh. I mean, I think of it most prevalently happening in the late fifties and early sixties, kind of during the, the monster craze, but I'm sure that I will learn that I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of my same thought too. Although now I'm like, I feel like maybe, maybe there are like ancient Halloween carols that I don't know about. <laughs> Wouldn't well, that be and lovely? <laughs> I'm sure. Cause we're all kind of the same font of human being. Like you guys get those, um, you know, the playlists that come up on YouTube and it's like vintage Halloween yes. for two hours from another room. And it's like all music from at least the twenties. So it's been around at minimum that long. <laughs> yeah. I guess I would also say it depends on what your definition of Halloween music is, which I'm sure Miranda yes. will give us some guidance on. <laughs> well, okay. And I want to say to you before I delve into this, I promise I did not give them like anything ahead of time. <laughs> no, she didn't. No, that's the whole of premise what... of this podcast. Yeah, we never no do. <laughs> we come in blind to everything always. But part of why I wanted to kind of set the scene with those two questions is I think the way that you answered both of those is probably what most people think. I think most mm -hmm. people think mm -hmm. Monster Mash is kind of the beginning of Halloween music. And to some extent, you're not wrong. And kind of that same time frame, like the late 50s, early 60s. So what I want to talk about today is kind of everything that came before Monster Mash and everything that led up to it. And then talk a little bit about the song itself. And hopefully... I will not drone on for too long because I find myself getting very excited and passionate about this topic because that's I love music. literally what we're here for. <laughs> yes. This is the podcast to drone on about a, a topic Excellent. you're excited about. <laughs> anyway, so Buy Pumpkin's Light is now canceled. I'm going to be joining Ghouls Night In. <laughs> Sir, cool. Sorry, Even Mike. Happy, happy to have you. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to kind of qualify this all too as like spooky music, not necessarily outright Halloween, because honestly, like, I mean, go look at the lyrics of Monster Mash. There's no mention of Halloween in that. True. Sure. So um, we're going to talk about spooky music. So I want to go all the way back. Close your eyes and picture it, if you will. The Middle Ages of England, <laughs> Scandinavia, and Germany. <laughs> and they I have were going to say Sicily, 1912. <laughs> <laughs> Further back than that. <laughs> 
But back in the Middle Ages, um, there were these songs called murder ballads that were becoming what? popular. Are you familiar with murder ballads at all? <laughs> no. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so we're gonna spend we're gonna spend a little bit of time on these. Um, so murder ballads are essentially exactly what they sound like. Um, they're they're event songs that were a narrative written about a crime that was committed. And interestingly, too, with murder ballads, um, these were often written by somebody in the town about the pers- another person in town who had committed the crime. And then <laughs> shady, very. And then at, <laughs> at various points, too, I've read that the music for these songs was either handed out or even sold because we got to make a buck somehow sold at the we'll call them unaliving events of the person who committed <laughs> the murder. Oh my god, so everybody's like singing while they're getting like yeah. hanged or whatever. And a song specifically about the crime about that they committed. how much you suck. Yeah. <laughs> this is very homosexual to me. Like this <laughs> that is that is queer pettiness at its finest. I love that. Oh, so that's kind of where we start with like the first, I don't know, we'll we'll call it spooky adjacent um songs. And that tradition is something that carries through um, I mean, even to today, but um, even like 1600s, 1700s. So, you know, jumping over to America in the 1690s, I say that date, you probably know exactly where we're going with this. This was a practice that um, our not so lovely Puritan friends um, mm-hmm. took up and wrote about everybody who they perceived to be committing witchcraft um, mm-hmm. in in the area in the late late 1600s. Um, also, interestingly, um, in the 1700s, so I feel like most music fans have probably run across Appalachian mountain music at some mm-hmm. point in their their journeys, their their musical journeys. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about this style of music is there's so many subgenres to it. And one of those um, also carried on this tradition of murder ballads. It's called graveyard music, Ooh, which I think promising. is fascinating right (laughs) and it was named that not just because of the you know the topic the subject matter for the songs um lots of death and spooky stuff but also the haunting quality to the music so that's that's something fun to seek out so continuing on our journey um as we're seeking out spooky music i don't know that any of this was necessarily spooky but it definitely has strong ties to halloween so i feel like that's important to point out um so we move on to the late 1800s our friends the victorians who were Yay. also halloween lovers like us Those yes crazy victorians <laughs> i know we're fans of them around here right <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, of course, uh, Halloween parties were a huge thing, uh, a a very popular way for the Victorians to celebrate Halloween. And I kind of feel like during this time, everybody was kind of kind of becoming more capitalist in a in nature and music publishers definitely saw the opportunity to make a quick buck and they were taking sheet music uh, for a lot of classical songs that had spooky titles and repackaging it during the Halloween season so that it had a lot of Halloween iconography, witches and pumpkins and everything, because, you know, you got to have music to play at a Halloween party, right? Yes. (laughs) It's like music everybody already knows, but now it has a pumpkin on the front. Basically. Well, and the interesting thing too, so like they were taking the classics, but they were also, there was a lot of modern composers that were doing the same thing and like writing, I, I feel like this is so on brand for Victorian Halloween, but writing a lot of songs that had a lot of humor and romance in them, but with a supernatural twist. Like, I love that. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. Okay. So then we move into the, the early 1900s and 
kind of into the era that you guys were slowly going back to when I asked you kind of when mm -hmm. do you think Halloween music became a thing? Um, and I want to stop and point out blues music uh, from the 1920s mm. and 30s, because there's there's a lot of spooky stuff that's happening throughout this. So, of course, much like rock and roll, um, blues music is rooted in black culture and traditions. And as a result, you'll find blues music now and again that has um, a lot of lyrics about beliefs in hoodoo or voodoo mixed in, uh, which is super fun. A couple songs that you can check out along kind of in that vein are Black Cat Bone by Lightning Hopkins, Hoodoo Lady by Memphis Minnie, and Devil Dance Blues by Sippy Wallace. Oh, I've heard Devil Dance Blues. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, and that's like, there's so many, I'm barely scratching the surface with that. So it's, yeah. I, I will encourage you guys though, if you have never delved into this, go seek it out because this music is so beautiful it's so interesting the lyrics are so like it, it takes you on a journey the narratives are so interesting it's i never i never don't enjoy listening to blues music never mind well, blues is like so heavily i mean all music is but like storytelling like mm -hmm. i mean it's really mm -hmm. cool like i feel like it always gives you a whole narrative which i love <laughs> for sure so from blues music, we jump into the 1940s. And I feel like this is the decade where you're probably going to start recognizing some of the songs that I'll mention. And then we're going to spend a lot of time in the 50s because to your kind of to your your guesses earlier, the 50s is really kind of where monster mania takes hold of the United States as a whole. And that's we see how that seeps into music. Um, but we have to make a little pit stop in the 40s because there is something very important, two very important things that were happening in pop culture then. Um, so taking a step back, not from the spooky stuff, but just music at large, there was a trend in music um, towards novelty songs. Mm -hmm. And Spike Jones and his orchestra is kind of the classic example of this. There was plenty of others. Um, but a lot of this music was hallmarked by kind of fun, easy to sing along to lyrics, but also a lot of kind of zany sound effects that would get tossed in <laughs> as well. <laughs> I love a zany sound effect. <laughs> we, They're the best. Yes. When when I was growing up, we definitely had a CD that one of my dad's friends had burned for him called 53 Funky Hits. That was like all <laughs> weird novelty songs. So I, you're definitely, you're speaking to my childhood, Miranda. <laughs> yes, I love that. So kind of the popularity of novelty music, we see that, you know, obviously Monster Mash is a novelty song. So we kind of see that that thread through popular music going into the, the 50s and 60s. And even today, honestly, we still have them. Uh, but another thing that I think is important to note that was happening in the late 40s is science fiction was sort of having a moment in pop culture. There was a lot of love for ufos and aliens and kind of outer space at that time um of course war of the worlds came out in 1938 so i feel like that probably had a lot of influence over this decade um and then just everything coming after it and i will say too i don't know about you guys um i don't consider aliens like halloween fodder they're not they're mysterious but they're not spooky so again this yeah. is adjacent mm -hmm. it's not yeah halloweeny in nature it's that same thing where we're we're blending the lines of Halloween and horror. Like it's because there's so much horror slash sci-fi about aliens. I feel like they do get lumped in. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So, so um, a couple of songs to check out from this decade if you're interested. Uh, Two Little Men in a Flying Saucer, which you may have heard before by the incomparable <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald. We love her voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Um, another one that you're probably going to know an artist who sang this, but he wasn't the original artist. Ghost Riders in the Sky. Yes. The the original artist of that was a man uh, named Stan Jones. But of course, the song, you probably know the Johnny Cash version from later on. Yep. But this song in particular was so popular that it was covered by a ton of other artists at the time, including people like Peggy Lee. And even I'm going to call him Mr. Christmas himself, Bing Crosby. <laughs> Bing Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> and then one more song that I do want to mention from the second, and I know this one will make uh, Midge happy, is Headless Horseman by K-Star. K-Star. <laughs> so good. My girl, yeah. So, so good. <laughs> So we go from kind of having this little bit of a science science fiction pop culture thing happening um, to going into the 50s. And this is really where I feel like the, the obsession with creature features uh, starts and kind of spreads throughout our pop culture. Um, but there's one song before we dive a little bit deeper into that that I want to point out that I think is so much fun. Uh, it was released in 1953. It's a song called The Thing by Phil Harris. Have either of you heard this one before? I don't think so. Uh, I don't recognize it by title. Okay. So it is available on Spotify. I'm sure you could go seek it out on, on YouTube, etc. cetera. Uh, but it's, it's a really fun little song. Again, not spooky in nature, but it definitely um, kind of creates a lot of mystery as we go through the song. So the basic premise of the, the lyrics is the protagonist discovers this box on a beach and he opens it up and he discovers the thing inside. And then he spends the rest of the song trying to get rid of the thing. <laughs> and the thing I think that makes this song genius in particular is that the thing is never named. Instead, every time the thing is referenced in the song or like where the name should be, there's a trio of drum beats and stomps that happen, which makes it a fun little novelty song to sing along to. Like those those beats are really addictive when you listen to it. <laughs> That's fun. I'm kind of surprised because I I mean, this is the genre. I guess you said it's not really Halloween specific, though, but uh, I have a whole playlist that I created that's just like this music from the 50s. And I'm kind of shocked that never came up in my my research. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like I said, I mean, this one's kind of it's adjacent, but I think because of the mystery that surrounded the lyrics, um, it definitely qualifies as like early halloween music we'll call it sure yeah i mean finding finding a mysterious thing in a box that you can't name and get rid of is very eldritch horror so i think yeah. it, i definitely would count it well and the other thing that kind of makes this song i think an important kind of stopping point on this journey is its popularity so again this was the early 50s when it came out and it was so popular so many people wanted to know what the thing was that phil harris had to change his phone number because he was getting <laughs> so many calls constantly oh my gosh and then also uh filmmaker howard hughes um ironically had a movie coming out that same year that this song was released that was also called the thing and because this song was so popular he had to change the movie title i think it got changed to the thing from another world um so that it wouldn't get confused with the song huh that's why so okay so now i want to ask you both any guesses on what the thing is? Ooh. It's never revealed in the song, but Oh, but it but it was revealed outside the song. Dang, Penny, you've <laughs> spoiled my <laughs> I'm sorry. my thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. You, you've spoiled my thing. You know what you said? I sure did. I'm gonna uh, guess that it's like a an octopus monster. 
Okay. I'm going to guess it's something stupid. Like, a, like it's because it's making, you said it makes like stomping and knocking sounds. Well, that's what happens in the song when it's supposed to be named. That's not, it could, that could be the thing making those sounds. Okay. We don't know. It's like, it's a, just like a hammer in a box. That would be really funny. Or like a, <laughs> a ball, like a ball and jacks, like just something really stupid where it's not actually a monster. <laughs> So this is the fun thing. Penny was spot on. Um, The thing was never actually revealed. Phil Harris was supposed to go on a TV show, ironically, on Christmas Eve one year um, to, you know, just satiate everybody's desire to know what the thing was. Yeah. And decided to not do it at the last minute. So to this day, as far as I know from my own research, we have no idea what the thing actually is. Okay, for a minute, I thought you were going to say that he was supposed to go and reveal this thing and he like died on the way. And I was going to be the thing got him. (laughs) The thing. Yeah, the thing doesn't want people to perceive it. Do not. You must not know the thing. (laughs) That thing's name, Midge Munster. (laughs) (laughs) Found in a box by a man in the 50s. That seems yeah. about right. <laughs> that's that's actually yeah. my birth story. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's kind of one of the fun things about this song is that it kind of like because you never we never found out what the actual thing was. Like it just adds to the mystery of it, and it also gives you the freedom to use your own imagination to dream up whatever the thing is. The thing. The thing. So go check that one out. The thing by Phil Harris. That one's really fun. I can't All right. Listen. <clears throat> So, should we dive into the 1950s and a little bit more on monster music yes. itself? Oh, if we have to. I if hate talking about monsters. Oh, monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to kind of level set a little bit as we jump into the 50s as well. Um, so, Halloween had very much become like the thing that we know it as today. There was a lot, a lot more trick-or-treating costumes, everything, because um, of course it's been around for centuries, but it didn't always look like it does today. Mm-hmm. Um, another important thing to note is that comics, um, specifically horror comics, were becoming very popular during this decade. A company called EC Comics uh, put out a series you may be familiar with, Tales from the Crypt. Um, they yeah. also Indeed. they also had a series called Vault of Horror. Um, and then another very important thing was happening on these newfangled devices called television sets. Any guesses? <laughs> any guesses what that was that was coming onto your TVs? Uh, well, wait, wait, what, what, what year are we in? I mean, just the fifties in general is when because this, this thing... is when this is when Shock Theater gets released in the late fifties. Yes, but... it's like I paid you to say it. Horror <laughs> host time. <laughs> yeah, it's time. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. Uh, But the horror host um, phenomenon definitely had an impact on music as we go through it. So I want to look at the late 50s before we jump into Monster Mash in 1962 specifically, because there's a couple songs um, that I think are very important to note um, that led us into kind of this evolution of spooky music and getting us to like the song of Halloween. Um, So 1956 is our first stop. I Put a Spell on You by Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Classic. Oh yes. yeah, the only only the best song that has ever. That's like if I had to pick one Halloween song to listen to forever, it would probably be that. Specifically, Excellent. the Screamin' Jay Hawkins version. I think it's so unhinged, and I love it yeah, so it's much. So, good. <laughs> so I think most people probably recognize this song from that party scene in uh, the original Hocus Pocus movie, right? But I mean, I'm with you guys. I think is this orig- song in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, I don't think so. I think I would remember who, who that. is. Who is Betty Meidler? I've never. 
also also an excellent version but you can't beat the screaming jay hawkins Mm -hmm. no well and i I think that this one is so important i hate that i feel like it gets so overlooked because of course screaming jay hawkins was a black artist but also native american by adoption um so yeah interesting note on him he's a really fascinating guy and as you mentioned, I think the thing about this song is like if you if you take it at face value and just look at the lyrics, essentially it's about a man trying to control a woman and force her to fall in love with him. Tale as old as time, right? We've all been there. <laughs> and like that in and of itself is horrifying, absolutely. But I think the thing that really makes this um, the song that it is is how it was performed. And the interesting thing with that is this originally was supposed to be a ballad and like a very, you know, nice, slow, lovely love song. And it was recorded a couple days after Hawkins' girlfriend walked out on him and he and his producer just got like rip roaring drunk in the studio. And this unhinged version that we have today is what came out of him that night. It was meant to be. Yeah, it's definitely just like it's it's the desperation of it makes it so different from kind of like you said like that sort of like love song ballad version it's like no it's like i need you well yeah i was gonna say to me it almost turns the tables because it's almost more that he's being pulled under like you know yeah it sounds more like he's the one being possessed or entrapped in this spell even though he's the one saying it which is very a, a cool juxtaposition in the way it's delivered I agree. It's it's honestly, I'm with you guys. It's one of my favorites. Um, and just Screaming Jay Hawkins in general is a super fascinating dude. I probably could have done an entire you know episode just on him with you guys. Maybe maybe I'll get invited back to do that at some point. Yeah, I would <laughs> love that. He's one of my faves. Yeah, but I just I, he's so he's so interesting. Considered the first like shock rocker um, in music, um, and also just like a goth icon. If you know anything about his stage performance, like <laughs> Twin Temple has a lot to thank um, a lot to thank him for for how yeah. they do stuff on stage these days. I have to shamelessly plug my favorite Screamin' Jay Hawkins song, Little Demon. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Please go stream it right now. It's so good. I love it. so. <laughs> that's like one of my um, sit in my car and pump myself up songs. <laughs> it's so much fun. I love it. That's awesome. So, okay, we're going to take a turn back into the horror hosts now. Um, so I know that you guys have a whole episode on this, correct? If I'm we remembering do. right. We yes. do. Yeah. So one of the things um, that kind of surrounded the phenomenon of the horror host was a lot of them had tribute songs written about them. Uh, and that's kind of where this next guy enters the picture uh, as far as Halloween music is concerned. So um, because he actually made the crossover from being a horror host into also being a musical artist, that would be John Zacherly um, yeah. out of Philadelphia. So um, his his horror host name was Roland, and he also had a song, somebody who wrote a song about him. Um, and he was a World War II veteran turned into a struggling actor, just kind of couldn't find like a gig, a solid gig um, beyond like one or two days until he landed his hosting gig. And he was so popular and just so good with his like comedic timing that within the first couple of months of being put on TV, he was pulling 13,000 teens into the studio to watch his performances be recorded, Damn. which I find. And, and, in the dead of winter no less in philadelphia which i find fascinating um but because of his popularity there was a local record label in philadelphia that said hey uh, let's capitalize on this 
want to record a song. So he ended up recording this song called Dinner with Drac. And <laughs> the thing about John Zachary is a singer that he couldn't really not. sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> he speaks sings a lot of his songs, but honestly, I think that kind of adds to the charm of them. So, and there's quite a bit out well, there. Well, he like set a trend base accidentally, but yeah. by doing that. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think the beautiful thing about Dinner with Drac is that it very quickly became popular, so popular that it wound up hitting the top 10. Um, it broke in and ended at number eight. And this would have been, this was in 1958. And there was another gentleman out there shaking his hips that was very popular <laughs> at this time by the name of Elvis. I don't know. Maybe you've heard of him. Elvis? Um, no. Elvis? No. <laughs> so I just, I find it fascinating that this song was so popular that it was, I mean, spooky music was out there competing with Elvis when he was just yeah, getting started. Yeah, that's wild. So, that's and also. crazy. Zachary was also invited to perform his song perform um, on American Bandstand. So, you know, all those squeaky clean cut kids were listening to Dinner with Drac. <laughs> now, I want I don't know if you know this. Did he perform it as Roland or did he perform it as himself? I, I want to remember know. that would I'm just picturing him in full like ghoul makeup on, <laughs> on American Bandstand. Band and that's so oh, funny to me. Wouldn't that be great? Be so also, good. thank you for correcting me on the pronunciation pro pronunciation R of his name. Roland. <laughs> yes. Um, so the last interesting thing that I want to share about this song is that it actually ended up getting banned on radio across the country <laughs> for its graphic lyrics. And I will say in 2000. What, what what year are we in? Twenty twenty three. I don't even know. Twenty twelve. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Time is a social construct. <laughs> um. You know, I, I, I might agree with the line that they banned it for because every time I hear it, there's a little bit of ooh, that's gross. Oh. Um, but the line about uh, veins of a mummy named Betty, and apparently e. when you put ketchup on them, they taste very it much like, like spaghetti. spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. What yeah, it's a little a little squeamish. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> so that uh, that got him banned from radio. Um, that in and of itself is a really <laughs> fascinating story. And I'm going to, if I can, shamelessly plug a book that I really enjoy called Graveyard Groove. If you want to know yes. more about that story, Graveyard Groove has the whole, every last little twist and turn. It's absolutely fascinating. So yeah, you recommended that book to me like, what, maybe a year ago now. And it's, I need to read it. I literally have it. And I, I was so enthralled by your like pitch of it. <laughs> and then, you know, it's sitting on my TBR still, but Now's I, the time, I, I want to read that so badly. I know I'm going to go read it right now. Bye guys. Goodbye. <laughs> we'll finish up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it honestly, like, that's probably one of my favorite things I've discovered since doing Spooky Little Halloween. So I tell everybody to go read it. Honestly, that's where a lot of this knowledge came from as well. So Okay, we'll wrap up with Zachary. So he did, um, after that song, because of its popularity, he released a full album called Spook Along with Zachary. And then interestingly, and we're going to come back to this one, he released a follow-up album in 1962 called Monster Mash. Boom, boom, boom. We'll come back to that. One more pit stop that we have to make in the 1950s, uh, 1958. As much as it pains me to mention this song, you can't talk about monster music <laughs> and not give credit where credit is due to the Purple People Eater by yeah, Shep Williams. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was wondering if it would come up. It is It is not a Halloween song in my book, but that's just me. Uh, but I feel like you have to mention it because of just the sheer popularity. 
of the song, like absolute smash hit the summer that it came out. Um, and just it's staying power too. Like, I feel like more often than not, I feel like I'm the only person on the planet who refuses to put it on a Halloween playlist. <laughs> and I stand when... by that till the day I die. <laughs> when I was a kid, we had a cassette tape that was like Halloween favorites. We listened to it every Halloween and Purple People Eater was the second song on that cassette. And I always wanted my mom to skip it. I hated it so much. <laughs> and it came you. right after the Adams Family theme which just feels like blasphemy to me like how dare you take me out of this like gorgeous halloween vibe and put me in a purple people eater situation i'm not <laughs> how dare how you dare. silly the adam's name with this <laughs> exactly <laughs> we would gladly feast on those who would subdue us <laughs> i actually so, i mean i sang purple people eater in middle school choir it was one of the songs <laughs> that they taught us I would you... pay a lot of money to see a video of that. Mm. Same. If you could see my face right now, just the <laughs> jaw drop that just happened. <laughs> so again, I, not like not my favorite, but I do feel like we have to give it credit because it was just such a huge hit and it's yeah. still around today. A couple other songs to check out from the late 50s. Um, the Blob by The Five Blobs, Vampira by Bobby Bear, and one of my favorites, Werewolf by The Frantics. Yes. We also, the day we're recording this is on the uh, anniversary of the release of The Vampire Show. Hey. So that's cute. Mm. More horror that's host awesome. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Vampire, I love, that's one of my favorite, like, spooky songs. It's a that, really good one. That one's really fun. So that all happens in the late 50s, and we're down to kind of the end of this right before Monster Mash comes out. So kind of going into the early 60s, monster music as a concept had kind of died out a little bit. It kind of ebbs and flows now and again. Um, and even after Monster Mash, you still see that as a trend coming and going. Uh, but basically, so monster, monster music kind of wasn't a thing. And then in walks man named Robert George Pickett, a.k.a. Also Bobby. known as Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Morris. <laughs> So and the, the interesting thing about him is he he himself was a huge horror fan. He grew up on horror comics, uh, some of those comics that I mentioned from the 50s, but also those classic, you know, 30s and 40s Universal Monster movies. Um, and then he also, he was well known in his friend group for doing uh, an impression of Boris Karloff, which he then <laughs> took and spun into his musical persona, which if you've ever listened to Monster Mash, you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So he basically had this idea um, to record a song, use his love of monsters, but also capitalize on some of the current dance trends. Um, so doing the mash was like, you know, there were variations of that and just so many different dance trends in the early 60s. Uh, but he kind of wanted to combine those two concepts. And that's kind of where Monster Mash came from. He partnered with a friend, Gary Paxton. And they recorded the song and they started shopping it around to all the major labels and absolutely every single one said, no, thank you. We're not interested <laughs> in a Halloween song. No, thanks. I'll pass. And they were billing it as a Halloween song too. Um, so Gary Paxton ended up saying, you know what, whatever, I'll just release it on my own record label because he had one pressed some of the records started sending them out to radio stations that he was friendly friendly with on the west and the east coast and that was in august and as soon as it hit the airwaves it was instantly a hit everybody was so in love with it um and it actually was so popular that pickett and paxton immediately started scrambling to release an entire album of monster music so it's at this point that our friend Mr. Zachary comes back into the picture. <laughs> he says, hey. I hey. too like to mash monsters. 
Yeah, so he was, as I mentioned before, he was recording an album that he ended up titling Monster Mash um, that was released in 1962. And seeing the popularity of the song, he was like, you know what, I'm going to put a cover of that on my album. And then in a total dick move, decided I'm just going to title it Monster Mash and released (laughs) it. Lovely. So as a result of that, uh, Bobby Boris Pickett ended up having to call his album the original Monster Mash to kind of differentiate (laughs) between the two. It's a a real like undercut, though. I love that he was like the OG. Right. I feel like that's that's such a modern Twitter move where you're like, the official spooky little Halloween. the real bobby like, boris pickett i was like are you though that makes the fact that you have to say that makes it sound like you're not <laughs> he said x underscore the real <laughs> x bobby boris x pickett <laughs> underscore x <laughs> so and i think like just how that all played out like is a tragedy in and of itself that all of a sudden like there's these two men basically competing over this this title of monster mash but i think the real i don't know we'll, we'll call it a tragedy the real tragedy of bobby boris pickett dun 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 is that he kind of spent the rest of his musical career then trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle that he caught yeah. with monster mash and wrote a ton of other like i mean he gave us a ton of great music so if you've never listened to anything besides monster mash there's so much more out there go check it out mm-hmm. uh, but i mean just never really got there that said, uh, I do think that Monster Mash, to me, I know Midge kind of giggled at the top of this because I, I have some beef with Monster Mash, but <laughs> I really do feel like it is the song of Halloween. Like if we had to pick an anthem, I like I don't, I don't care if you don't like listening to it. I don't like listening to it all the time, but it is the song of Halloween. Like that's undeniable. Meanwhile, I literally listened to it in my car this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I no longer skip it when it comes on. I'll just say that. <laughs> I mean, people people don't have to like listening to an anthem. You just have to stand there and respect it. And that's what yeah. Monster Mash is. All rise for, All Monster, rise Mash. for Monster Mash. Put your, your hand over your heart. Hang on. Where's my, my Halloween flag? I'm pledging allegiance right <laughs> <Yes>. now. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I do think, I mean, we all, we all know Monster Mash now, but there's just a... Uh, I think part of why it has staying power is it just like it perfectly captures I don't know, a spooky little Halloween, if you will. And just that like feeling of Halloween of like dressing up and going to a party and meeting all these, you know, ghoulish characters. Um, I do think it's really interesting too to note. Uh, so obviously Monster Mash was a huge hit in 1962 when it came out, but it charted two more times after that, um, both times in the summer, no less. So I think us spooky kids have always liked getting the party started early. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but it charted again in 1970 and 1973. And then huh. uh, Mr. Pickett followed those up with a couple other variations on it as well. Monster Rap in 1984. And then shortly before he passed away in 2007, two last ones, Monster Slash in 2004. And then a nice little political statement to go out on Climate Mash in 2005. <laughs> Not the Climate Mash. You know what I think you, is, dude. <laughs> you know what's interesting too, like now that you bring that up about Zachary, like the story of monster like in the 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 song story with him and like drac kind of beefing over who created the monster mash because drac like says yeah "Yeah." drac says like whatever happened to my transylvania twist and he's like it's the mash now (laughs) i that i think that's kind of funny that then Zachary came in and was like i too am dracula and i made this up completely it is mine (laughs) 
he predicted his own future. Art imitates he life. He really kind of did. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, and that's kind of how we got to Monster Mash and, you know, Halloween music, I think, as we'd brand it now. Of course, there is a ton that comes after that. We'll have to save that for another day because I could go on forever. <laughs> Part yeah, two. that kind of gives you yeah. Get in the comments of... if you want part two of Halloween <laughs> music history. Yeah, I will say too if you have enjoyed any of this and would like to learn more. Again, that book that I mentioned, Graveyard Groove by David Accord, is a fantastic resource. Really, kind of one of the only ones out there about Halloween music. Um, it's available on the Big A Amazon if you want to go check it out. Um, <laughs> if you want to, you know, find out what you're getting into, I do have a review on my site plus an accompanying playlist of a lot of the songs, iconic songs that are mentioned. So if you go over to SpookyLittleHalloween.com, search Graveyard Groove, or you can just go to Bitly slash Graveyard Groove and get right to the post. Cool, and we'll share that in our Instagram story when this goes up as well. Awesome. Definitely. So yeah, that's that's Halloween music in a nutshell. That was such a fun journey. I love it, Miranda. It's like, as we said at the top of the show, this is the show to gush about a niche topic of interest. And mm-hmm. I've just been just I feel just been sitting here with my, my chin in my hands being like, wow. Check. Mission accomplished. <laughs> I also like was sitting here taking mental notes about just like how well you articulated all that research, because I feel like I I'm like, wow, I could be doing better. <laughs> <laughs> At like putting my thoughts into words. I was like, you you really did that, girlfriend. Well, she's, I don't do this. She's on coming a for our gig. <laughs> I don't like I, I said, buy a pumpkin's light, canceled. I'm all I'm yeah. I'm ghouls night in now. <laughs> but there's not gonna be three ghouls. She's actually taking my position here on the show. There can only be one M ghoul and yes. I was literally now. about to say only one M name will survive. <laughs> I do want to mention one thing uh, before we start our little wrap mm-hmm. up here, and that it is when we're recording this two days before Miranda's birthday. So if you are listening to this episode right now, even though it's past Miranda's birthday now, go to her Instagram and give her a follow at Spooky Little Halloween for a birthday follow and wish her happy birthday in the comments of her latest post. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going to keep happening for the next year and everybody's going to be so confused. Right. Like, I'm, I'm going to say, day, Miranda, after, after a period of time, you're going to be like, why do people keep wishing me happy birthday? Because you won't remember that Mitch said this. <laughs> okay, yeah. If you're, if you're listening to this too far after uh what may 2nd yes. is that when we're yeah we're, yes. when, what day is it today <laughs> uh, who knows then her birthday's may 2nd don't be wishing her birthday in like july that's ridiculous yeah that's when you wish <laughs> me happy birthday that's exactly my, that's my that's leo season so everybody queen. stay back <laughs> spoken like a true leo <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Miranda. It was so wonderful to hear from you. Um, as Midge just said, um, at Spooky Little Halloween, um, where else can our listeners find you? So I am Spooky Little Halloween on most uh, social media platforms. I've started playing with Lemonade lately. So if you're familiar with that and on there, come find me. Um, of course, SpookyLittleHalloween.com and buy Pumpkin's Light for the brand new podcast fabulous um and to all of our friends and listeners on here definitely go give miranda a follow and um if you would like to stick around and hear more about our podcast and what we're up to um you can find us on instagram at ghouls night in pod 
And if you are enjoying the show, we would love it if you would take the time to give us a review. Um, We always love to hear what you think, and it helps us grow our podcast. I believe Midge has one to share with us today. I sure do. Uh, This one is from Espresso Girl 47692, and it is a five-star review titled Highlight of the Week. Mm. I rely on... (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Miranda. (laughs) That's the review. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Uh, They said, I rely on podcasts to keep me company, make me laugh, and teach me something here and there. This podcast does exactly that. Listening to Penny and Midge is the highlight of my week. They're hilarious and cover so many interesting spooky topics. If you're looking for a fun podcast that feels like a fun time with friends, this is it. Thank you, Espresso Girl. We appreciate it. Um, All right. Well, with all of that said, um, if you are looking to find me, um, I am across most platforms at Penny Snark. And you can find me all over the web at Midge Munster. And Miranda, we hope you'll join us in saying, until next time, (laughs) goodbye. Bye. I did a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs>